Okay, welcome everyone. Thanks to Dan and the Bentos. That was wonderful to hear a little bit of their story. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to find the book of Ecclesiastes, if not, don't worry, the words are going to appear on the screen as if by magic in a moment or two, or you can look it up on your phone or another device. If you have one, I hope you're all looking forward to the, the football this afternoon, the Netherlands play. We will be supporting them, of course. Uh, I'll obviously also be supporting England on Tuesday, although I'm not looking forward to much. The uh, English football player Gary Lineker said that football is a game where 22 people chase around a ball for 90 minutes, and at the end, Germany win. So uh, that's what I'm expecting, sadly, on Tuesday evening. But I will be committing the day and the entire church to a day of prayer and fasting on Tuesday. So if you want to join me in that, you're very welcome to. Okay, I'm going to read the first, well, the first, uh, how many verses? 12 verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Um, if you haven't found it yet in your Bible, it's kind of almost exactly halfway through. So here we go. It says, but, I, but all this I laid to heart, examining, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil of which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shoal to which you are going." Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all, for man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. 
Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for this book, your word to us. We thank you that this is living and active, that it pierces right into the depths of our souls to bring us life and joy, hope and happiness. We pray that today, exactly that would happen, that you would breathe life into our hearts this morning, breathe fresh joy, fresh grace right into our souls, that we would know you in this room and wherever we're watching from, that we would know you in a new, fresher way today. In Jesus' name, amen. In the year 1654, the famous Dutch painter Rembrandt painted perhaps his most famous portrait of Jan VI. Um, people regard it as one of the finest pieces of work he ever did. Uh, Jan VI was a wealthy, influential Amsterdammer of the time, and his name has gone down through history, literally, in that uh, a son in each of the generations of his family has been named Jan VI. And the Sixes, for most of their history, have lived in our city. They owned a famous house on the Amstel with a beautiful art collection and many riches and wonders there. And for 11 generations, right up until the present day, there's always been a Jan Six. They've kept the name on. They've tried to keep some, some, uh, some of this history, even his name itself, his identity alive. And in many ways, we all live in the same way in that all of us, we know that death is coming. A fun subject for a Sunday morning. But we know that death is perhaps the only certainty that is true for all of us. And yet there's something within us that thirsts, that longs for immortality, that wants to keep ourselves going. Our name, our, the remembrance of us. We want to create some kind of history. We want to, there's something within us it talks about it a few chapters ago in Ecclesiastes. It says that we were made with eternity in our hearts. That inside of every human being, there's this seed of eternity that God's put there. There's a longing within us. The Polish poet, Wisław Szymborska, said, there's no life that couldn't be immortal if only for a moment. All of us cling on to moments, thoughts. We try and do things to breathe some eternity into our hearts. There's a longing within all of us because we were made with that desire. Because actually, death, it's unnatural, which seems to go against what? much of nature of science would tell us because we know if there's a there's we watch the lion king we know we know about the circle of life we know that things die things live they're born they have an end which is all true but actually if you read what the bible says about humanity and our life and death you'll come to realize that death is a it's a it's a disturbance it's a, a breaking of what should be true. That again and again, as we go through Ecclesiastes, we come up against this phrase, under the sun, 
that under the sun, the same event happens to all of us, as it says in verse three, that under the sun, all of us will die. But we weren't supposed to be made under the sun, under the, the curse, that what God had planned for humanity was eternity, which isn't so much about time itself, but is about who you get to spend eternity with. But all of us were made for eternal relationship with our living God, with our Father in heaven. And actually, the death we experience is, is a disturbance of that. And yet, death for us is, is inescapable. As it says in verse two, it's the same for all. It's the same for all. You can't cheat your way out of it. It's the same for all. Billionaires in California might freeze their brains once they die to hope that one day in the future someone might be able to resurrect them. But the reality is we all die. It's inescapable, and it's inescapable because the great disturbance that took place wasn't death, but was sin. Because sin is the first breaking of that relationship with God. And all death is, is death is the final act of the play. It's the last chapter of the book. We've all fallen in our nature, in our very being. We've all set our hearts against God. And that's the inevitable, inescapable conclusion. And not only is death unnatural and inescapable, but it's also, it's also unpredictable. As it says in verses 11 and 12, it says, for man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an eagle net, birds caught in a snare. The fish doesn't know when the net's going to come into the water and scoop it out. And yet all of us, we live with a sense of certainty. We live expecting tomorrow, expecting next week, next year. We make plans. We have strategies. We have dreams and hopes and ideas. And yet all of it could come to nothing. Because none of us know. Not really, not with any certainty. But this may all sound like bad news. But actually this passage is, is good news to us. Because it says here in verse four that he who is joined with all the living, which is us, we're still alive. Although I'm hoping you're all still alive here. That would be a grim conclusion to our service. But for all of us who are alive, it says we have Hope. Earlier in Ecclesiastes, in chapter 7, it says, the day of death is better than the day of birth, that somehow the fact that we're all going to die, that death is inescapable, Ecclesiastes seems to say, now I admit, some of Ecclesiastes is weird and confusing. We just all have to deal with that as we go through it. But what it seems to be saying to us is that Death is, there's, there's a good in it. Even not the knowledge that we'll all die isn't just something to terrify us, but it's, it's good news for us. It's good news for us that it gives us hope. I'm going to pick out two ways that death 
helps us now. First of all, death or the knowledge, the inevitability of our death, it rescues us from madness. Now let me explain that to us a little bit. In verse three it says this is an evil in all that is done under the sun. The same event, which is talking about death, happens to all. Also the hearts of, ch- of the children of man are full of evil. A madness is in their hearts while they live and after that they go to the dead. You see, to be, to be mad, well, that, what, it, what it is to be mad, to be insane, uh, to have lost your marbles, to be a, a sandwich short of a picnic, is, is to be less than human. To, to be somehow unhuman. To have moved away from what it is to be human. That's, that's what someone, if you meet someone who's just completely, they're gone. They are just mad. They just live in a parallel universe in their head. You, 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 what you, the experience you receive of them is they're not the same as me. That they're somehow, they've lost something of humanity. They've moved away from what humanity is. And what this passage is telling us here is that's what sin does to you. Is what sin does is it, it caused you to a, a kind of a madness. A sort of a madness of utopia. What I mean by that is that what sin does is it makes promises to you and it will promise you a, 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 an alternative reality for your life. It will promise you a different future, a different outcome. If you do this, this thing's going to happen. If you do this, you're going to experience these things. It promises to us so much, and yet it delivers to us so, so little. And what it does essentially is it will, little by little, it will strip you of your humanity. It will make you less than what you've been designed to be. It will strip you of the, any goodness or good in your life. It will deconstruct you. It will make you somehow less human. And what Jesus came to do is to, in a sense, humanize all of us. Sometimes we think that maybe you're watching this and you're not a follower of Jesus. Sometimes we can think that becoming a Christian means giving up your humanity. I need to become one of those religious types now. So I, can, I, I can't live like all my, all my friends who seem to be enjoying so much of life. I've got to give that up to become a Christian. I've got to join this sort of weird cult-like thing. Well, actually becoming a Christian is the complete opposite of that. When you step into knowing Jesus, you step into true life, real life, the full goodness of life. In the book of Luke, when the, the prodigal son who goes away and he wastes his entire life, makes a complete mess of himself, and there's a moment where God comes to him in his heart and he makes a decision to go back home to his father, to turn back to God. It says in that, that verse that he, he comes to himself, that he was beside himself, and yet he comes to himself. And that's what it is when we repent, when we turn our back on sin. We step back into the 
true reality of what God's actually made us for. And when you realize that death is coming, in a sense, it kind of rescues, it rescues you from all those dreams of, oh, my life could be like this, all these dreams and hopes and desires. When you settle into the here and now and you find Jesus in that place, it, it rescues you from all those crazy, mad dreams. And also, see, death helps us now in that, as it says here, those who are joined with the living have hope that while you're alive, for everyone here watching in the room or at home, there's hope. There's hope for all of you. It doesn't matter what you've done, who you are, whether you're a believer in Jesus yet or not. There's hope. And he uses a little, like a, a proverb, a little story here, a little illustration to help us. It says, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. That's not the sort of Bible verse you put on a t-shirt or on your fridge, is it? A living dog is better than a dead lion. What does that mean? Well, in their culture at the time, which I guess isn't too similar from today, that lions are renowned. Lions are, are creatures of of kind of victory, of might, of power. They're respected. They're, they're the, the king of the jungle. Is that, a lion's the king of the jungle? Lion's the king of the jungle. I was just checking it wasn't like gorillas. What are gorillas? Not kings of the jungle. They're less than lions, aren't they? That's why they're not in this, in this verse. Lions are the kings of the jungle and dogs, dogs, dogs in that culture, where they're not like, Whereas a dog today might be man's best friend, a dog in that culture was, I guess, more akin to how we would understand a, a rat today, just vermin, just to be kicked out, to be got rid of. It says in the Proverbs that someone who returns to their folly is like a dog returning to its vomit. It's not a very nice verse, is it? But dogs were looked down upon and lions were the ones to look up to. So what is this saying when it says a living dog is better than a dead lion? I think what that means is that grace comes to the dogs of life. That the grace of Jesus comes to you exactly as you find yourself this morning. That to be a Christian isn't being about a lion. And then once you've hit some supreme state of being then God comes to save you but his redemption, his salvation his, his love for us comes to us exactly as we are that whereas sin and, and then death is this disturbance this destruction of our harmony, of our relationship with God that Jesus steps in and finds you just as you are this morning. That none of us have to sit here and, and evaluate your performance this week to see if you're somehow acceptable to God. That he's come to, to rescue you. He's found you just as you are. See, because what the, the grace of God does is it finds us just as we are and then it breathes life into us 
will restore to you the prospect of eternity with him forever because it's what grace primarily does. It's not about giving you the gift of eternity as I'm going to present, but it's about restoring relationship with God. And if that's restored, then it will be eternal. But it also restores that relationship with God for you now, today. See, whereas sin will promise you, sin promises the life of a lion, but delivers the life of a dog. Grace comes and finds you when you're at the very end, the bottom of yourself, and will begin to restore to you his lion-like qualities. That the lion will breathe his life into you and restore you. And what it does is it restores to us not just eternity, but the enjoyment of life now. Because this passage could seem a little bit where it talks about go eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already proved what you do. It can sound a bit like kind of you only live once, that sort of mentality. We're all going to die anyway, so just go and party. Just go and, you know, throw it all away. In the, the, the reality is, though, that when the fear of death is removed, as a Christian, you don't have to fear death anymore. It restores you, it releases you to live now and actually to enjoy life now. Psalm 118 says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. <laughs> That's the perspective you can wake up every morning with. This is, this is God's day. Not just Sunday, but every day. This is, this is his day. He's made it. I can rejoice. I can be glad in it. In this passage, it, it gives us some imperatives, some things to do. It says, go, eat, drink, enjoy do we think that Christianity is surely Christianity is about not doing things? Christianity is just sort of abstinence plus, just stop doing all those things. But actually, Christianity calls you into a life of enjoyment, a life of adventure, a life of just thrill seeking and of wonder in the kingdom of God. There just there is not a better way to live. There isn't. The more you lean into God, the more you give your life to him, the more you kind of relinquish control of your life and give yourself over to his plans, to his kingdoms, his purposes, the more joy will come your way. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. And you get to enjoy, not just, sometimes we, 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 when we talk about the idea of, of, of worship, of worshiping God, we think of, we think of singing songs. Or you might think, ah, no, worship's more than singing songs. Worship's serving God, of doing things. It's reading my Bible, it's praying, it's helping the poor, helping the needy. Yes, all those things are wonderfully true. But worship as well is just enjoying the best things in life. That can be full of worship. When you begin to see the things around us as as gifts for you to enjoy 
and enjoying them. It's an act of worship. The list it sort of gives us here, it talks about eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, let your garments be always white. See, there's, there's so many other things that you could replace that with. Sometimes as a Christian, you might feel that life in the city is a bit scary. It is, is very unchristian and needs to be avoided. But there's so much in our city that's, that's to be enjoyed. You don't have to feel guilty about it. You don't. You can enjoy so much of what our city has to offer. The problem comes is when those things that the city offers become, become necessities. They become idols to us that we end up giving our lives to and, and using them to, to give us joy. But when we find Jesus Christ as the only, the primary source of joy, he breathes his joy into all sorts of other things. Let me just try and give you a bit of, a, a bit of an example of what I'm, I'm saying here. If you're a, a parent and at, at Christmas time you give gifts to your children and they unwrap them and they enjoy the present as a parent you don't just get you don't do it because you want the you want them to come and say thank you and then you you enjoy their you know they give you a hug oh thanks dad what you enjoy is seeing them interact with the toy the gift of seeing them enjoy it the gift you've given them and sometimes when kids are a bit younger, you give them the present and they unwrap it and they play with the box rather than the toy. That's my lesson for young parents, having had four children, I can tell you, just don't worry about the presents. Just wrap up some cardboard boxes for the first couple of years. They'll be so happy. Kids love that sort of thing. But even as a, as a parent, you're not like, why aren't you playing with a toy? You just, you see your kids being happy. And that gives you joy as a parent and that's exactly how God is with us he gives us so many gifts to enjoy and then he sees us enjoying them and he loves us even when we enjoy them poorly even when we just we only find like the corner the glimmer the edge of all the goodness he still loves us he still finds immense joy in us his creation see the wonderful thing as it says in this passage go eat your bread with joy drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do a striking little hint in the middle of this book of the wonderful grace of God towards all of us he's already approved what you do see true Really, when we really get to enjoy life is knowing when you're free from guilt, knowing when he's given you these earthly blessings, but knowing when his grace has come to you and pre-approved you that, that you're in. You don't have to go and get a test before entry that you're in. That he, he loves you just as you are. You're released to enjoy life knowing that you're pre-approved. That if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, that, that he loves you. You get to enjoy life now 
and you get to enjoy life for all eternity. So if you look ahead, sometimes to get our heads around what eternity will look like can either feel baffling or maybe you've got a sense of guilt about what it might mean. But the, the worst that it could mean, if you're a believer in Jesus, the worst that it could mean is that you'll know the perfect love of the Father for all time. Perfect love forever. That's the worst it could be. <laughs> perfect love forever. And yet now, in the here and now, he's given us all these earthly things as little foretastes, little hints, little teasers, little trailers of what life will be like. And it's not like, you know when you see the trailer of a movie and it's 30 seconds long and it's funny and it looks really, it just looks brilliant. And then you watch the full two-hour movie and you realize they've taken the four funny bits, four only funny bits in the movie and that's the trailer and the movie's actually awful. Eternity is not like that. We get these little hints of what it will be like forever and that they're just the faintest of whispers enjoying the, the finest of wines, the most delicious of foods. God's given them to us as little hints of what eternity will be like. You know, the warm, loving embrace of a loved one is just a hint, just a whisper of what it will be like in eternity forever with our Father. So when you experience the joy, all the little joys of life, we don't need to come to them with guilt, but just see them as little hints, little teasers of the life in him to come. Let me finish by reading a, a couple of verses from the book of John. It's this where Martha, who's one of Jesus' followers, comes to Jesus, and she says to him, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. It's the wonder of what it is to be a follower of Jesus that the writer of this book, Ecclesiastes, he gives us this picture of death and life under the sun. But death and life with Jesus Christ is he calls you into this beautiful eternity with him. And we no longer have to fear death, but we also can approach life with joy. There's a lifelong experience of enjoying all the grace and the goodness of God. I'm gonna pray for us and then. Michiel and Wilson will lead us in some songs of worship. Why don't you just stand to your feet if you're here in the room. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we want to we wanna come to you this morning and we want to confess to you that we could, we could look back and reflect on our week and see so many ways where, where we've fallen short of your standards, where we've given our life over to to an, an alternative reality, to, to a less human version of life and ourselves. And yet we want to receive your grace and forgiveness this morning that restores us 
to the fullness of humanity that releases us to enjoy the best of life now, equips us to follow you with all of our hearts. And we want to declare in faith today that life with you is, is better than anything else the world can offer. And it doesn't mean that life stops being hard. There are hardships in life we all have to endure. But even in the midst of the worst suffering, we can still know the greatest joy of knowing you. Thank you that you are, you just want to welcome us into your fatherly embrace this morning. I pray that just anyone who's watching this, who they've come here this morning or they've turned on just feeling a bit like a worthless dog, I pray that they would just know the joy of your grace, which this line of Jesus has come to us to restore to us just dignity, hope, joy. Just let the grace of God just restore to you the joy of your salvation this morning. Just such good news for our soul. Holy Spirit, we just pray, would you soak our lives with just the knowledge of your love and goodness towards us. I pray that would release us to live now, to enjoy the best of life and to live for your glory with everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.